Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. The first thing that we want to kind of talk about is the importance of the six-day-a-week Ashtanga yoga practice. Why do we practice six days a week in Ashtanga yoga? Why isn't it something you can just pop into here and there? The, the, the first and probably the most important aspect or, or concept about that is that Ashtanga yoga is a sadhana. And sadhana means something that we devote ourselves to as part of our, our, our everyday activities. So rather than being something that we do just for entertainment, just for fun, just for a fitness kick or something like that, our Ashtanga yoga is meant to be a sadhana, a daily devotional practice. So it's almost like a ritual that we perform in honor of our sense of the sacred. And in that way, it's something we have to do every day. It is a way to cleanse and purify the mind. And the same sort of ritualized activity that would normally fall to maybe everyday things. So for example, the ritual of brushing your teeth every morning, the whatever ritual you have to make coffee or tea in the morning, whatever ritual you have before you go to bed at night. Um, unfortunately, we lose a lot of the, the ritualized behaviors. Many people, including myself sometimes, get into a pattern where we just stare at our phones or something like that, instead of thinking about the importance of moments in our life. When we come back to the Ashtanga practice, one of the reasons that it needs to be six days a week is to create this ritualized space of the sacred and kind of reclaim a sense of devotion. If everything else in our life falls away, we can come back to the mat and trust that that space in the mat, of the mat, will be there for us. And the same way that the practice gives to us, we have to give to the practice. So the showing up on the mat consistently and persistently is the whole foundation of making the Ashtanga practice more than just a routine of physical fitness, but a true sort of spiritual space that we return to over and over again. And again, this is why Ashtanga yoga is called a sadhana. Now, I understand that this is difficult for many people. 
Uh, some people have a very hard time developing a new habit, and there are a couple of benchmarks that kind of you can think about to keep the momentum going of your personal practice. So first of all, that you that you congratulate yourself for every success, and you shrug off the failures. So maybe you go through a period where, for whatever reason, you couldn't maintain your six-day-a-week practice. The most important thing is that you don't develop guilt around that. Oh no. Now I failed, you know. Now I'm horrible. Then you know, there's no Ashtanga confessional that you can go to, and you can't, you know, show up and say, "Well, I only did three days last week, and I missed the whole week. Uh, I missed a month, and you know, give me a penance." And then there's no, there's no like Ashtanga priest that says, "Take 50 chaturangas, and you'll be okay again." You know, so it's not, it doesn't work like that. So that you are your own sort of, you know, you, you hold yourself accountable. And the most important thing to, I think, to maintain that sense of the six day a week practice is. To let go of the guilt in the moments when you can't maintain it. Number and then the second thing is to celebrate your successes when you do complete a six-day week. Take a moment and acknowledge it, like like we did today at the beginning of this talk and the beginning of the practice. Acknowledge it. Today I practiced six days a week. Wow, I did it. Congratulations. Maybe you did it because of a teacher. Maybe you did it because you were, you know, in a, in a special place in your life. Sometimes people only practice six days a week when they're on retreat or when they're with their teacher. That's okay too. Congratulate yourself for that. Look, I did it. So we celebrate the small wins that can make a really, really big difference. Um, the third thing that's important is that the momentum builds over many years. So in the beginning, maybe it is just once a week. Then it starts to be twice a week. Then it starts to be three times a week, and then over 10 years, 20 years, the accumulated inertia builds into a six-day-a-week practice. So you want to have your eyes on the long goal rather than setting yourself up for a fast goal, bringing up the possibility of immediate failure. So we just think about, okay, after 10 years. Maybe that's when I'll be established in the six-day-a-week practice. For some people, the Ashtanga Yoga poses are very difficult. For some people, the Ashtanga Yoga poses are very easy. Yes, some of you find that hard to believe, but but some it, it's just, some people the poses are easy. Some people the poses are very difficult. But everybody almost seems to say that the most difficult thing is showing up every day and doing whatever we can do, whether we are finding it easy or finding it difficult.、Um, there are some people who find discipline very easy. There are some people who find discipline very difficult, and it's important for you to figure out where you are on that spectrum. If discipline is very easy for you, then you then then the six-day-a-week practice will will become will come easier for you in the beginning, but it might be harder for you to maintain in the long run. You might jump in and say, "Okay, I do this," but then, like a really fast-burning flame, you'll burn out. And then the person that finds discipline really difficult, you'll kind of rebel against it. Oh, this is horrible! I want to do it when I want to do it. One day I want to do it 9 a.m. Next day I want to do it 1 p.m. I don't want to do the same poses every day. I want to do some variety of poses. Look, they do this in other styles of yoga. I also do that now. And then you'll find it very difficult. Oh, this discipline, this rigor. At the same time. Look for the lesson in it. What is the lesson that's available for me? Why am I so resistant? You know, do you brush your teeth in a new manner every day? Do you need creative, you know, methods to reach your molars every day, or do we trust that a similar routine is going to be beneficial for the teeth, right? So <laughs> something like that. Do we need to reinvent, you know, a, a, a system that's designed to create a sense of the sacred?、Um, you know, if you go to your dentist and then they, either dentist points out, look, you're not. Brushing your teeth properly, then we need to, you know, reevaluate. But if you come to your yoga class and you're doing well, we want to trust that that kind of sets us up on the on the on the right right spectrum. Tim and I, we've been practicing for a while. 
Um, and, <laughs> you know, 25 odd years or so, maybe more. Um, and so we have a good, a good amount of experience of having periods where we, we, we practice really, really rigorously and enthusiastically. And then we have, both have experiences of, of, of periods where the practice is kind of lackluster and periods where discipline comes easily to us and periods where it's not that, it's not that easy for us. And, and the fact that, you know, we, we made it through is kind of proof that just getting on the mat as often as you can, that's enough to create a sadhana. And when the practice starts to be more than just a thing you do on, you know, on, on a weekend or once in a while, at that moment, the practice begins to be one of the pillars of your life. And then, and then that's the moment when I think yoga is working, right? I think my voice will die if I talk some more. <laughs> I'm going to let you talk now. I'm starting to... <laughs> Uh, earlier this week, I had a, a sore throat, a cold, and I think I maybe passed it on to Kino, so she has a bit of a sore throat now. So I'm trying to pay back here by uh, participating in this uh, conversation. So she said, will you please come in because I, my voice is a little bit difficult. <coughs> so um, I haven't really prepared anything, but... Um, I think I'm starting to know what we're talking about, <laughs> so, so that's good. So um, to relieve your voice a little bit, so Kina's talking about sadhana and she's talking about devotion, and I think that, and she's talking about that there's different modalities and different entries into practice and so forth, and I think that when we practice, there's a physical component to the practice, <clears throat> and then there's a mental emotional component to the practice which is also very strong and sometimes when we're looking for our practice we're looking to these two modalities like how we get a little more fit how we get a little more comfortable in our body and then we look to our mental capacity our intellectual and our psychological capacity in our emotional life and we see how the practice starts to benefit us in this way and then we practice for a while, 25, six minutes, and now a little bit more. And then we start to see some of those goalposts that kept us in the game for a while. They start just to not work for us anymore. Um, so we have to try to figure out what keeps us on this path. Um, of one reason, I, because I think we, after having practiced just for a little bit, for a couple of weeks, a month or a year or a couple of years, we start to realize, this is good stuff, man. You know, it's like there's some really juicy quality uh, here that um, is truly healthy for me in my life in so many ways. So, and I think that's when what Kino is talking about that the devotional aspect becomes um, not only um, important, but very useful for us. If we can find a devotional <sighs> hook into the practice, we're much more likely to continue doing this. If there's no devotional aspect, then it's like, it's just arbitrary. Am I okay I have a couple of more pounds around my waist or not? Am I okay that I'm a little bit less clear in my head? Am I I'm okay with like being a little bit more emotional and stable than at my best or not? But when we start to find a devotional aspect, then um, we go beyond these uh, for the benefit of those. 
Yeah. So what is the devotional aspect? I think another way of talking about that, like often like devotion, we refer to in a sense of faith and religious theistic kind of idea. And another way um, to think about devotion is meaningfulness, like to create a, a paradigm where it's deeply meaningful to show up on the mat, to practice. Um, are you familiar with this psychologist from Poland called um, Viktor Frankl? He's kind of famous. So he had some trouble in his life. He was brought up in Warsaw uh, before the Second World War, and then he was in a concentration camp. And one of his and he continued his studies while in the concentration camp. And one of the things that he came out, one of the conclusions he came out with was that the people that survived, uh, what, oh no, the people that was more likely to survive this beyond hostile environment, this deadly environment, was um, not necessarily people that were stronger physically or emotionally and stuff like that, but it was people that found purpose, that somewhat had a purpose to continue living. And he couldn't really put his finger on which kind of purpose was more efficient. So he came up with this idea that if there is purpose in your life, then you're more likely to um, hang on with whatever it is, survive in a concentration camp or survive on your yoga mat. So, um, <clears throat> and then, you know, if we look at other uh, modalities that is uh, requiring us to work really hard, like in business, for instance, or if you are Iron Man participant or something like this, what is necessary there is almost like we wouldn't call it devotion, but we would probably call it obsession. You know, to be an Iron Man, you need to be obsessed with your thing. Um, and I think if you're a businessman, you need to be obsessed with the idea of earning another dollar. And, that, and because there's something inside that says, this is really, really good for me. Um, and I think that there is this obsession, I think we know it, and I think we also know in Ashtanga Yoga, I've certainly been, when I started out, being like obsessed with like getting my leg behind the head, you know, grabbing my ankles or whatever it is, you know. Um, and I think that obsession is a lesser kind of devotion, in my opinion. It's very useful, but I think devotion is just kinder type uh, and more healthy long-term type of obsession. And I think without a certain level of obsession and devotion or purpose or deeper meaningfulness with this, it's really hard to go on. Um, and how do we find the faith in the system or in going on there? How do we find that purposefulness? How do we find that devotion? I think we have to dig deep in ourselves and we can read and we can talk to our friends and we can listen to our teachers. But by the end of the day, it is not necessarily something that is just there. It's something that we must find. Just like faith, you can have it or you can build it. It's possible. Or trust is maybe even a more concrete uh, thing. You know, we say trust is earned, not given. It's like you don't trust just because you meet someone. You meet someone, you might 
tend to trust that person more than that person. But trust can be built. Also, trust can be broken down. Same thing with our practice. So I've, I think that this devotion is something that comes when we... A way not to build devotion is not to show up. A way not to build devotion is not to show up. Yeah. So if we want to build devotion, we need to show up. We need to put ourselves there where devotion potentially can be built. And when we're talking about devotion, meaningfulness, purposefulness, um, trust, faith, obsession about the practice, it means showing up for the practice. Um, and then keeping an eye on what it does for us. And usually, in my experience, and perhaps also yours, since you all came out here to kick your own butt today and with a little help of Kino, uh, Navasana and whatever, um, it wasn't so bad today. I was like waiting for it. I was like, okay. When you said one, I was like, I'm going to count out from 20. But then I didn't hit, you know, so that was, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. It was like... You know, I didn't need that much obsession today to make through. But, um, and I think that to show up and um, begin to experience what there is to experience is first of all at the heart of yoga. And it can be, some days it's good stuff and sometimes it's not so comfortable stuff. Um, but I think that is necessary. And when we do it, we, feel, we will feel that we are building we will feel that we build that devotion there. Shall we take some questions? Yeah, we could do that. Any questions? Online? Oh, Laura, what a terrible question. <laughs> do you, do you? I, I mean, sure, yeah. It, it, you can move the rest day. It's totally fine. There's, when, you, when you practice in India, they, uh, in, the, in the institute in, in, in Mysore, the rest day used to be on um, Saturdays, and it's now been moved to Sundays. So the rest day is movable. Um, so you want to think about the rest days really being what works for you to sustain your practice. It doesn't always have to be Saturday. It doesn't always have to be Sunday. Um, some people that work a, a, a quite intensive job during the week will find that they want their rest day to be, say, on Monday. And then you want to use both Saturday and Sunday to do really, really good practice. So yeah, the rest day is completely movable. Um, and you want to adjust that and adapt that to your own practice. At the same time, because there are moon days, ladies' holidays, rest days, sometimes we make our best effort to do a six-day week practice, but we only get three days. That's okay, too. Just accept that. You know, it's okay. Can I add a little bit yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's two ways to go in here. Again, if you have obsession and devotion, and you say it must be Saturday off or whatever it is, because that's what Patabi Joyce said, or it must be Sunday off because that's what uh, Shalaji does these days. And that, and therefore that is of increased um, significance to you. I think that's helpful. Um, like I take Monday off, I think you too, right? I'm not even that's sure. Depends. If I'm traveling, I'm not 
Monday off. I take Monday off. That's my rest day because <laughs> I work over the weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the more intense days of my week. I teach and I practice and I, all that kind of stuff. So, and then I usually travel on a Sunday night, Friday and a Sunday night. So Monday, I'm tired and grumpy and I don't want to get on my mat. So I take, uh, uh, Monday is like my day, my day off. Um, I confess that moon days is not so devotional for me so i think they should be right i'm happy with the day off or so but um i think i'm a little bit um unorthodox in that way i will uh, in my soul i will do it because that's an extra uh, holiday uh, and shout says this is the day off but here in miami i kind of I will practice on a moon day, no problem. If my schedule um, proposes that, yeah. So sometimes, sometimes I know I can't pr practice on, on Thursday because something, something. And then it's a moon day, say, on Wednesday. I'll just practice on Wednesday. Um, and that, then I feel like, yeah, I did my part kind of thing. But then on the other hand, my wife, she's giving me the stinky eye, you know. She's like, why? It's a moon day. What are you doing? <laughs> and, and like, she's like, you should have steak and eggs with me. So, but, um, so I think you have to find your own meaningfulness. But don't mistake, these rules are, I, in my opinion, essentially made for giving us a structure to fall into. So we don't need to wake up every day and say, what should I do today? Should I practice? Should I not practice? Should I backbend? Should I do chatwari? Should I do 108 sun salutations? So the whole thing is set up. So it's like, you don't need to take that choice. You don't need that decision fatigue to enter your life every single morning. Here's another example. When Keen and I, we go to India, we go about once a year approximately. And um, we have to wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning, sometimes before 2 a.m. to practice. Before I go to bed, I will put out my practice clothes and I'll, my mat and I'll roll it up and put the whole thing in front of the door. I have to leave through the front door. Because when I do that, I know I won't forget anything. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, I don't have brain to decide whether I should wear the red or the blue or the black uh, pants. I just can't get it at that hour. So I literally need to like bunch it up like, like that. That's super helpful. And I think the practice is the same thing. It's like practice early in the morning. Why? Because the later it gets in the morning and later it gets in the day, when the world starts to wake up, it'll interfere with your world. If you wake up before the world, then it won't interfere with you. There's not a phone call that comes in. There's not an email. There's not a, all that kind of stuff that takes you away from it. And then when you do get on your mat, it's like, don't think about it. Just like do these movements in this manner for the next hour, hour and a half. And you're good, man. And you come out on the other hand and you feel good and you know good and you're set up for, you, for the day. And um, do it every day. So it's not like, should I do today? Should I not do today? And then just to say, take one day off, you know, to get a little bit of rest. Mm -hmm. Also, the intention with the practice is, as far as I can see, it's a laboratory. It's a research place. 
it's your garage, it's your workshop, it's a place where we go in to learn. So if we go in once a year, we don't learn a lot. If we go in once a week, we learn a little. If we go in very often, we will learn a lot. And since the subject matter of Raja Yoga, of real yoga, is liberation of your so- of our soul. It's like we're not gonna get there like really quickly, so it's gonna take a little bit of time. Just, that was a lot of talk. No, yeah, I, I just thought of um, a friend of ours asking Patabi Joyce about what she should do because she was gonna take the train to Delhi. Oh. Like a, this was like 20 years ago, and I think the train was like days. It wasn't like a let me take a little fast train up. It was like days from Mysore to Delhi. And she, I remember her saying to Patabi Joyce. But uh, what am I going to do about my practice? I'm not going to be on a train for 38 hours. I, what's going to happen? I'm not going to be able to practice, and it's not a moon day or the rest day, so what do I do? And he just looked at her, and he was like, maybe you can read a book. In some ways, we, we, we take the obsession. Like I said, there's people that will take the obsession, devotion, discipline, and feel like, they'll, like they won't give themselves any leeway to have a day where maybe you need a rest because you're traveling. And I, I, I was like that when I first started practicing. I felt like, oh no, I'm going to make up for this, this lost day somewhere. I'm going to practice double the amount of time when I get back on my mat next time. And, I, and, and I, I, again, there's people that discipline will come easy for you. And those are the people who are going to ask a question like that. But I missed my practice one day. What should I do? You know, and if you fall in that in that end of the spectrum, then I think the most important thing is to take it a little easy. Try to learn a little bit of, try to let Tim inspire you with the unorthodox kind of like, okay, I'll practice on a moon day. Because the disciplined person also will be like, it's a moon day. I cannot, you know. And But if, you know, but if you feel like I just missed three days of practice and today's a moon day and then you want to do it, you can say, all right, maybe I'll do it lightly today and see what happens. Um, and then the person who's not so disciplined, I feel that there are there are some really important tools, as Tim was mentioning, about letting go of the decision fatigue elements of should I practice, should I not practice. But the non-disciplined person needs to really reach for stories of meaning around the practice to be able to create that discipline. You know, this we were there one year, long time ago. Patab Joyce was was teaching and in charge at that time. And I think it was around Christmas. And then we came and then after practice, uh, uh, he said, next two days, no practice. And everyone was like, what? And it was like, next two days, no practice. And then there was one was like, like why, why no practice? <laughs> you know? And then Patab Joyce, he looked and he looked a little like this, like, well, Black Moon Day. <laughs> and then we all went, oh, Black Moon Day? Have you ever heard about Black Moon Nobody had ever heard about it before. <laughs> so the general consensus was, oh, you know, the family needed a little rest time. <laughs> so, they did have two days off. There was an actual Moon Day, but it was like Black Moon Day yeah. multiplied. Yes, yeah, it's just like Black Moon Day. Yeah, but right? then so. <clears throat> I think we came in for like lead primary after... After that, and mm-hmm. we found there were a lot of party favors all around oh, the shawl. Oh, yeah, so I can't remember. But <laughs> so I think, like, whereas you know, it's I think it should be the exception. But every now and then, we need a Black Moon Day. You know, it's just 
effect. Or, or the other thing, there was this time, I think it might have been the, the same trip. Yes. But maybe in sec- I don't know, they blur into each other after a while. But there was one trip where there were no moon days, that the moon days yeah. fell on Saturdays. Oh, so yes. we just had like six day week, oh, six, day week, six day week, yes, six day yes. week, six day week, six day week. And I have never loved what is referred to in Ashtanga as ladies' holiday. When you're on your menstrual cycle, you stay home. And I just remember like, because I, I don't usually take three days because I don't really need three days, but I always take at least time off. The first day, I remember you got out of bed and you were like, what's going on? I'm like, ladies' holiday. <laughs> and, then, and then the second day, you're like, you're taking another day? Absolutely. And then I, and I think on the third day, then you also stayed home. I also took, I also took ladies' holiday. <laughs> and then, then we both came back to practice the next day. But Tavi Joyce looked at me and said, ladies' holiday, very good. And then looked at Tim, why? You didn't come. <laughs> he said, also, ladies' holiday, he looked like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, you know, that we, like, the devotion, the meaningfulness, the purposefulness, the faith, the obsession is a good thing. It's a really good thing. But we also have to be careful not to be rigid with the whole thing, right? And so in that way. Laura, there was a lot of talk. Did that did we answer anything your question or yeah. did we just manage to give you a little bit of freedom to make up your own obsessions? Kind of thing. You know, one thing that was uh, one sec. So, you know, it's like we say six days a week, but honestly, it's like very rarely six days a week. If, if Because there's two moon days, right? So if you're very unlucky, it falls on your rest day. That happens every now and then. But then if you're a, f- a female and you haven't passed menopause yet, then you also have your um, ladies' holidays. And if you're a man, also maybe you have your ladies' holidays. A husband. So. <laughs> but so there is... There's this very rarely it's six days a week. As a matter of, matter of fact, in, in India, when we have a six day a week and sometimes we have two six days a week or three six days weeks in a row, we are all about ready to die. And this is where Patabi Joyce throws in black moon days and <laughs> party favors for everybody. So, uh, so yeah. But there's something that I think is, 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 is we haven't talked about, but we're talking about indirectly. Mm which is community. Mm. And I think that's a big part of what can make discipline easier and coming into practice mm. regularly. Because if you feel like you're part of something mm. and if you feel like you're in it together with a bunch of like-minded individuals and there's a sense of belonging, then that will draw you forward. Um, like this, this, is, this is this classic thing of when Tim and I are practicing together. There was a time this past trip where you were flying to Goa, so you slept in. Mm. And I felt this urge not to go. Because he was sleeping in. So this is the urge that he felt similar that I felt that, you know, to when I was sleeping in. But then there's a sense of community. Oh, all these people are over there and they're all sort of our Ashtanga friends. They're our yoga friends. They're all there. We're all coming together for this sort of devotion. It begins to be, you know, like a shared communal ritual. And that can happen virtually. That can happen in person. That can happen when when a group of of really devoted people come together and, and sort of gather to practice, whether on retreat or for an immersion or even just part of the daily discipline of practicing every day. If you live in a space where there's a community, you're blessed. 
Uh, there's so many practitioners out there who only get that sense of community from something like what we're doing right now, like joining remotely, and then seeing you know, their teacher once in a while, something like that. So wherever there's community, I think that makes discipline dramatically um, more easy, more loving, and more kind. I think that's a really, really important, good point you make there. Because one thing is we can build our own obsession, devotion on the inside, but then we can cultivate community on the outside. So in in myself, for instance, if you don't show up for practice and you go down for breakfast, everybody's going to see like, where were you today? You know, and they're not really, you know, pissed with you or anything like that. They're just like, are you okay? It's just like. What? You know? <laughs> it's like there must be something wrong. So then you have to tell 25 people, no, I just slept in. And then after a while, it's just like, it's flipping easier just to go than to have to explain this to people. And so, and I think, and, and you feel that genuine interest in you and, and concern about you to some degree, also if you're sick and stuff like that. So after a while, it's easier just to come. And also, you want to come because you know on the tough day, you're probably not the only one that has the tough day. Do you know this feeling that you wake up one morning, it's Tuesday, and you're tired, and you're like, I think I'll skip practice. I think I'll skip going to the shower today. And then you go anyway, and you realize that like a third of the people is not there. So it's like there's something with the moon or whatever it is, right? <laughs> that just like made this a tired day. And the fact that you are there means that you didn't cave into it, which is an interesting point. I think I've felt like, have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced that? Like, I feel I've experienced that again and again and again and again. <laughs> so when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, the moon is messing with me or whatever it is, right? So, and then I go and, and then I see, yes, you know, and then I can be like, I am very special because I showed off. You know, then I can build some, build some confidence. I'm joking a little bit, right? But I can build some confidence in myself in that way also. So I, I, I feel showing up on my mat builds my confidence, by the way. Like my self-confidence in a really healthy manner. And when I don't show up, eh, it doesn't really do it. David Swinton says, lovely, he says in a lovely way, he says, there are practices he hasn't done that he regrets. There's not one practice he's ever done that he regrets. I think that's a lovely way of, of saying it. Then there's another element, I think, to devotion, which came up for me when you said, you know, you go and then there's a third of the people missing, mm. which is the element of your relationship to your teacher. Because your teacher, mm -hmm. yes. what, like, if you're in the role of the teacher, that's a whole other level of devotion. The teacher, you know, you, if you're in the student's role, <clears throat> you think, you, you don't question that your teacher will be there. But the teacher wakes up in the morning, <clears throat> often practices alone with no one to watch them or assist them, and then goes and teaches. And so there, they show up there. And so what do you do when you're the teacher and you wake up with that feeling? Oh, I don't want to practice. Well, and then you think, no, I have to do it because the students are coming. Then you do something. Then a third of the students don't show up. And you think, oh, no, why am I here? And the students don't even come anymore, you know? And then you think, oh, no. But uh, uh, to take on devotion on the level of the teacher, I, I feel is almost um, uh, is more demanding because it's taking on the, the, to be the receptacle of the student's devotion and then also to 
have your own flame be kind of perpetually lit from within. Because there'll be many times when the journey of the teacher is dramatically more lonely than the journey of the student. You know, if we look at, uh, we have a wonderful community here where many of our teachers practice in each other's classes and we can come in and take classes. It's so wonderful. So many Ashtanga communities in the world are not like that, you know? I, we travel and teach and speak with local teachers and they wake up at, you know, 3 a.m. and practice by themselves in their bedroom they, next to their beds with a lamp that they turned on and nobody helps them and then they make... There's two cats in the back of the mat and a baby <laughs> coming in and out. Yeah, so. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And, then, and then they, you know, drive to... To, to teach, and if they have the blessing and good fortune that they're students, wonderful, that can motivate them. Then the students lift the teacher up, wonderful. But we know many people that a successful day uh, in the Mysore room in the Ashtanga path is like six students showed up today. Wow, that was great, wonderful. Six people were there. It, the class is building. It only took six months to get these six students. But here I am at 6 a.m. before the sunrise, and uh, great. And then, and then we know people that also have full-time jobs that do that because they can't sustain themselves otherwise. And we think about that. We think about, you know, Sharaji in, in Mysore now, Patabi Joyce, when, when, when he was alive, they were waking, like the time that, that these individuals wake up to be able to teach us is insane. I mean, and I've made the petition, like, let's just shift it all later, you know? The whole thing can just happen later. Like you could get up at four, I can get up at six. It's better for everyone. Um, but that's never really <laughs> seemed to have an audience. <laughs> so we do that here in Miami. This is like our Miami Mysore style. <laughs> It's a little later. <laughs> also, Shadiji, when he was here, it was a little later. <laughs> Getting a little older. A little later. It's like Miami style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there other questions? Also from anybody here, too? Oh, many hands went up. I have a I have very rarely practiced in an airport. Uh, but <laughs> I, know, I don't think you ever have. Yes. In a gym, yes. Yes, I know what you mean. Because you look different, right? You do different things. If you sit and you do like, everyone's like, ah, oh, she's like me. But if you do like this, everyone's like, what's going on over there? Yes. <laughs> yeah, barefoot. Yes. Sometimes you're not even allowed to be barefoot, right? In a, I usually do it in my hotel room, you know, and uh, I can usually find that much space for a mat. So I usually do it there. Um, but you also because I feel the gym is often cold. You come yes, to a hotel, it's very cold there. So but of course it can be difficult if you travel or, you know, with your spouse or something like that to wake them up. But so I usually do that. I just practice by myself. In the room, is that an option for you, or? Yes. Yes. You know, I have a little trick that I do that is, I think, not so orthodox. So, in my so I 
practice with two people. I started with two people, Sharaji, and I have a teacher in the afternoon I go to for uh, to learn more about background, theory and philosophy, potentially all that stuff. And when I go to him, Professor Rao, I put my, I recalled him. <coughs> so often when I'm like that, I put him when I need a little bit extra boost. Uh, I could put the black keys or something like that, which also happens. But um, I put Professor Rao. So I'm listening to him talking while I I practice. That helps me a little bit. So perhaps you could do that. Like I would say an online class. On online class. Nice. Yes. Yes. See, I think we should be pragmatic about our practice in this way and about our capa cap capacity, cap cap capability as a human being, our discipline. is like whatever gets you on the mat is okay. So if that is, you know, like taking a class online in OMSTARS or listening, listening to Professor Rao or putting on, you know, Olivia Rodriguez, you know, then I think that's fine. You know, I really think it's fine. Um, we go, like our motivation go up and down in, in that way. And I can personally feel like at some times I have this curiosity and urge to dive into my body like in a visceral way and feel it. And other times I would like to feel this. And that's when I like to have an external distraction almost, you know, where I don't have to be confronted with all this visceral, physical, emotional, som somatic stuff in myself. Does that make any sense? I just, but I believe in the practice. So the fact that I put my mind, body, heart through it is going to be good for me. So I think if, like, use the tools around you as much as you want. Like, I think we go to India because of that. So we go there about once a year and we get fired up. It's really hard. And when we come back, I had at least three months where I'm like, getting on the mat is not a problem. Then the next three months is like, keep it up, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and the next three months is like, <sighs> and then like, it's like, and then I can clearly feel it's time to get back to my song to get the fire burning again. So in that way, going and seeing my guru, going and seeing my teacher is, is, is Oliver Rodriguez on the speaker somehow. You know what I mean? So. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're trying, we're trying, we send some prayers and wishes over in your thoughts. <laughs> and uh, we'll let you know as soon as we know. Well, we know it won't be this spring. There was a good chance it was going to be this spring 24, but now we know it's not going to be that. Because he had a whole issue with going to Europe this summer. So he's, I think, he, he's a responsible fella. So he's trying to take care of his responsibilities since he had to cancel that whole thing. I think he's trying to it's take care of that. It's entirely too soon to make any sort of projections. So, so even that can completely change. So we just, uh, it just starts in prayers right now. Yes. Uh, he, he, he's a last minute kind of <laughs> yes. guy also. Thoughts and prayers. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, that's even worse, right? Then you have <laughs> no. to wake up and practice. <laughs> she also has a question. Okay. So I haven't committed to like a particular type of path of yoga. I've just taken things from everything and have my own practice, but now I feel ready to choose one path and really like practice that, study that. Hmm. So what made you guys choose Ashtanga to move well, super, super good question, and I think uh, I think it's great that you've kind of had this uh, experience of multiple different styles, and then that you've recognized in yourself, okay, I'm ready to to kind of dive in and go deeper. I think that's that's wonderful to have that both the the, the sort of open experience and then also the self awareness to realize, okay, I'm ready for more. So that's that's wonderful. Um, from my end, when I did my first yoga class, it was a hatha yoga class. And I think I spent like three years just kind of exploring Hatha yoga and whatever was around without really knowing more. But um, when I did my very first Ashtanga yoga class and I didn't really know what I was getting into, I felt a pull to just do more of it. I didn't know that I'd made a decision that I'm gonna do this style of yoga for the rest of my life. But I bought a, I bought a ticket to go to India, like less to go, I think I bought my ticket when I've been doing Ashtanga for six months. I started practicing six days a week uh, about a month after I did my first Ashtanga class. Not so much because I wanted to, to be honest with you. Um, I, w I did some lead classes and then I moved to New York City and then I joined a Mysore style class and I wasn't given the option. The, the, at the end of my first Mysore style class, the, the person who was teaching was named Govinda Kai and he still teaches. Um, and he said to me, this class meets six days a week, you can come at eight. So I just was like, okay. And then, like, I did that, <laughs> which, and then, and then about a month into it, he pointed at a picture of Patapi Joyce on the wall and, and said, like, this is my teacher and some students are going to meet him and I wanted to go. And so I wrote a letter to Patabi Joyce and I bought a ticket and I, when I, I, I think I'd been practicing Ashtanga for, from the first class until I purchased the airplane ticket, six months. And I showed up in India on his doorstep. I'd been practicing Ashtanga, like, maybe nine and a half, ten months. Um, and this was like less than a year, and I practiced there for two months. And I didn't realize it then, but for me it was that meeting that just, that I didn't have any other question. I had a bunch of friends that were teaching Jiva Mukti and teaching Vinyasa, and I, like they would invite me to their classes, and I would go and I would just be like, this is interesting, yeah. So I'm going to Mysore tomorrow morning. And, you know, and it wasn't like, oh, I don't like, it's, it was just like, oh, this is interesting. You know, I'm happy to have had this experience and let me, let me kind of come back to my bread and butter kind of thing. Um, so for me, it was really almost something that happened rather than a choice. Um, and uh, I, I almost wish I could have been as prescient and, and conscious of the decision-making process as you are, because I think that's, a, that, that's, that's something to really, really respect. I feel that sometimes for me, decisions happen intuitively without my conscious awareness. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, did I decide to change my life and do yoga? I guess so. Uh, yeah. I could look back and see that that's what did it for me. So maybe you could say the devotional connection to the teacher and having that grace and good fortune to be able to have the resources and the time to go to India and practice for two months because I haven't really wavered since then. Yeah, I totally agree with Kino. I think it's really great that you've taken your time to get some perspective and check out the landscape of yoga and try to figure out what is for you. You know, there's different styles. There's Ashtanga yoga, which is considered very vigorous. 
and then the Shivananda, where they propose that if you do an asana and your heartbeat starts slightly racing, racing, you should lie in savasana until your heartbeat is down again, which is a perfectly fine way to do it. It's just a little different than we do in Stang Yoga. <clears throat> so, and everything in between that. So, yeah, take your time to figure out what you want to do and narrow down slowly um, and organically until you figure out what type of yoga is for you. Um, and then when you know that, then try to do the same with your teachers, narrow down slowly to figure out who works well for you. And it's a personal decision and you have authority to decide in that way. Uh, I ended up with Ashtanga Yoga because I came in from Jiva Mukti Yoga and I met this guy called Lina Mele, <clears throat> and a certified teacher in Europe. And uh, I liked it better. So I started to do Ashtanga Yoga. And um, I bumped into Jiva Mukti Yoga because I was uh, working as a dancer and I just had a big accident. And I had, my body was really fragile and broken and still kind of in rehabilitation. And I took my first class and it was very much like a Ashtanga class, just a little lighter. <clears throat> and my body was like, give me more of this. So uh, I started to use it as my basic training uh, for rehearsal uh, most days. And then I segued into Ashtanga Yoga. And to be honest with you, in those days, the Jiva Mukti style and the Ashtanga style was very, very much the same. So it wasn't a big, uh, big jump. It was just the Ashtanga Yoga was a little more rigid. And so like a little bit more, more rules in Ashtanga Yoga. And then going to India and meeting Tab Joyce first time uh, coincided with Kino and I meeting each other. So it was a really good experience. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I think um, that just created such a positive samskara, such a positive imprint in me. So uh, just, I'm still doing it. So. <laughs> But take your time and uh, find your discipline and find your enjoyment and let those two run side by side along the... And if you find a good balance between those two according to your matrix, then you will uh, continue. If you don't, it's harder to continue. So, Thank you. Hope to see more of you. What is the time? It's quarter twelve. Any more questions? Anything online? On, okay. When practicing Ashtanga, is it okay to do two guided classes and then rest? Or is it myself? Two guided classes a week? Yeah. That's what we usually do. That's what do. we usually do in India, yeah. You can also do lead classes every day or Mysore every day. It's just getting on the mat every day or self practice every day. Mm-hmm. I think a new trend in Ashtanga yoga is on the moon days, people take yin yoga. It's also possible. Or meditation. Meditation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other online questions? Well, we can wrap up. May, may I just comment one about <laughs> that? So, um, so we have two ways of practicing in Ashtanga yoga. One is Gata class and Lit class, and the other is Mysore style. And um, 
both of them are really good. And both of them proposes something different to us. Like when I do my soft style, sometimes it ends up only being very quick breaths in Navasana. <laughs> Five. So, and when I'm in Kina's class or in, in Esme's class or Patricia's class or Joseph's class, I can't do that. <laughs> to my great disappointment. But uh, so then I have to stick with it. Um, and there's so much to say about that. But that means that the guided class is really good for me. It breaks some of my bad habits. Now, at the same time, some of the asanas in the intermediate series are sometimes challenging me in, my, in a way, so I would like more time. For instance, <laughs> at this moment, I have a little something in my left knee. So when I go into Bhattakonasana, I need a little time to get in and then I'm fine, and I need a little time to get out, and I'm fine. So when I do that in a guided class, it gets a little bit rushed, which is not necessarily to my benefit. So therefore, for my left knee right now, a uh, Mysore-style Bhattakonasana works better, because I can take the time I need. Just as two examples. Yeah, so I think... Um, my proposition to you would be to be very concrete about what you feel and what you get from guided class and from myself style. And then, I, because I feel that the more conscious we can be about our efforts, endeavors, the more we can make them work out for us. So uh, be very, like, look into the guided class and figure out Make a little list. What am I getting from this? What am I missing in this? And then go and look at your myself. Make a little list. What am I getting from this? What am I missing from this? And you'll probably come up with what you got already, that one or two guided classes a week is a really good idea. There's some kind of mix between myself and guided class. One more thing. <laughs> so we have asanas, and then we have vinyasas. In Ashtanga Yoga, we have that movement, that con continuous movement that we're doing. And I feel that when we're in Gaudi class, that vinyasa is in the front row of practicing. And when we're doing Mysore style, the asana and the personal experience and sometimes the indulgence of that becomes first row. So, and Gaudi class just like kicks that vinyasa up at the front, which I think is really good. And also our stamina, our heart literally gets a physical exercise from that. So but that's why I'm here today. <laughs> to get my heart kicked. No, to get my heart exercised and my butt kicked. Now we go home, Kira, I say you can kick my butt home again. <laughs> Maybe not. It's a good day today. Any more questions? Last chance. If you want, you can just raise a hand. Thank you. Two hands means no. Yeah. <laughs> One hand means yes. Okay. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Everybody. Thank you. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. 
Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.